All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 131, and today we are talking about books being released on October 31st, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow well redhead Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello. Hello there. How are you today? Um, I'm okay. Yeah? Yeah. It's Halloween on the day that our friends are listening to this now. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I don't have a costume. <laughs> I don't either this year. Last year, I all out mermaided. Yeah. And yeah, it was amazing. This year, not so much. It was amazing. We were just talking before the show started about how we got glitter. I got glitter in my hair and all over the place last year, and you just had a hair glitter experience. <laughs> yes. So I had a very eventful week. I did some exciting things. Um, I got bangs, which Ooh. I've never had before. And I was like, I want bangs. And now that I have them, I can say, well, so I tried that. (laughs) Um, So when I don't, when I have my hair down, I look like Christopher Guest in This Is Spinal Tap. Um, I I can't say that I love it, uh, but I pull my hair back in a ponytail and it's really cute and I like it. It is really cute. Then I saw a picture of Sylvia Plath and I was like, now I look like Sylvia Plath. So, but hey, you know, but she put like glitter in my hair and it got all over everything all everything um but that's okay because i also got a truck (sighs) yeah i got a great big brand new truck giant i'm a small person in a very large truck and it's awesome like i'm from maine and i learned to drive in a very large truck and so um i feel like even though i've been back in maine for like three years like i feel like it's official now because i have a giant truck um, and th- I'm just worried, though, that my main accent will come back. Like, what you <laughs> what you all out there don't know is that I have to work really hard to say my R's. And you guys are probably like, yeah, I know, we can totally tell. Um, but, you know, when I was little, my mother and father, you know, like, we talked funny. So I have to work really hard to say them. I'm worried driving this truck is going to bring it back out. <laughs> I'm here for that. I've always wanted an old... Uh, like an, a 50s-style pickup truck that I could paint purple. Oh, that would be great, too. <laughs> and, yeah. And then I think I would have to, like, bring my full Southern accent back and dress like I'm in a Carrie Underwood video or something. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but that yeah. also doesn't sound terrible. That's a life I would be yeah. all right with. I wanted, like, a really old F-150, um, and my boyfriend bought me a brand new Honda Ridgeline, so I couldn't say, like, no, I don't want that. Sorry, this car is too new. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, I'll take it, thanks. <laughs> so, it's fun. Awesome. I also got to see John Hodgman, and he ah. he lives in Maine part-time now. Mm-hmm. And it was really fun because he does the Maine accent, like, the wicked Maine accent. And <laughs> instead of, like, you know, when most people are laughing at it, like, everyone in the room was laughing with him because that's how we all talk. So we're like, oh, yeah, that's us. That's fun. <laughs> not, I heard that in was... like a, not in like a mean way. Yeah, I heard that event was really fun. Oh, it was so great. It was hilarious. Well, so, before we that's my talk life. <laughs> about books today, let's talk about how to buy some books. Book this Riot, is so exciting. Uh, isn't it? You, I mean, I just think of the damage you could do with this. But I know, really, but I'm not anybody, allowed to. You're not allowed. Anybody could enjoy this. So at Book Riot, we are giving away a $500 gift card to the bookstore of your choice. 500 bones to buy any books you want, maybe some of the ones that you have heard about on this podcast. Like bone. You could buy bone with your 500 bones. (laughs) Anyway. You you could. Yeah. That would be a great choice. Uh, 
<laughs> you should do a list of books about like bones and skeletons and that have bone in the title for Halloween. <laughs> All right, I'll be right back. <laughs> uh, so this gift card... to the bookstore of your choice. The giveaway is open internationally. That means you can enter to win it no matter where you live. And it is open through November 26th. So you've got a while to enter, but why would you delay when $500 to the gift to the bookstore of your choice is on the line? Go to bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway, all one word. That is bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway to enter and then cross your fingers because that is a really sweet enter deal. Toes. Uh, everything crossable. Yeah. Maybe wiggle your nose a little just for good measure. Mm, that might work. Yeah. Like um, Samantha on Bewitched. True. Ooh, there it goes. All right. Oh, dear. I was going to say, do you want me to take the first pick this week no, while no, you I'm deal good. with your hiccups? I think, I think okay. I got it. Okay. I'm just so excited about this first book. I read it like six months ago, and <laughs> so I hope I remember what it's about because I built it up so much in my mind because I love it so much. Um, so I'm going to tell you about it. You can't say no. I'm just going to do it. Um, it's The Tea Dragon Society by Katie O'Neill. It is the most adorable cartoon collection, comic collection that... Like, oh my goodness, I can't stop talking about it. Uh, she wrote Princess, Princess Ever After, which was an adorable book that came out last year. And I'm really bad at web comics. I didn't realize that this was a web comic. So I read the collection and was like, oh, where has this been my whole life? And people are like, coming out weekly for the last two years. Um, and I didn't know that Nimona was a web comic. Like, it, that came out. And I was like, where has this been my whole life? They're like, you know, coming out every week. So apparently, I just am not good at picking up on what web comics are going on. Um, but this one is about a girl named Greta. She's a blacksmith's apprentice. And one day she finds a little lost tea dragon. A tea dragon, which is like the cutest animal ever. They're little tiny dragons, but they grow leaves on their horns that people then, like when the leaves fall off, they take them and make them into tea. Like there's a chamomile dragon. And they're just like the cutest little things. They wear little earrings. And I can't even stand it. They're so cute. Uh, So she brings this tea dragon back to its home. Uh, She meets these two gentlemen named Hesekiel and Eric. Um, They run the Tea Dragon Society and work on the lost art of making tea from tea dragons and, like, raising their little tea dragon flock. There's a whole bunch of different ones running around. Um, And he, uh, Hesekiel and Eric, they, I should say, tell... um, tell Greta about their past, like how they came to do what they do, Um, some big battles that they fought. Eric is in a wheelchair now, um, but they've been trying to scrape by. Um, They're very much in love and, you know, trying to make a go of it, like keep the Tea Dragon Society going. And they also have a ward named Minette. She's kind of like a lost girl that showed up and she's very shy and skittish, but she meets Greta and becomes her friend and they hang out with the dragons and figure out how they can bring the art of making dragon tea back. And it's... Did I mention it's adorable? Like, 50 times? <laughs> it's so adorable! Like, I, I was like, okay, tea dragon society. And then when I saw that they actually have little leaves on their horns, I was like, oh. I can't even handle it! And now they make plushies that you can buy of the tea dragons with their little earrings. Um, I'm just going to keep saying adorable, so I'm going to stop there. But it is so cute. So cute. Like, middle grade level appropriateness. If you like Bone um, or Rutabaga the Adventure Chef, it's it's a, it's like that. 
age level. And again, it is called the Tea Dragon Society, and it's by Katie O'Neill. All right. My first one is not adorable, but is... (laughs) Quite remarkable. And it's been a while since I've had a collection of short stories on the show. So I feel like this is a good return to form. Uh, This is called The King is Always Above the People, short stories by Daniel Alarcon. And I am ashamed to say this is my first time reading him. Everyone talks about... Yeah, at night we walk in circles, especially um, as being great. And I'm so happy to have read him because now I can keep going back for more. This book was long listed for the 2017 National Book Award for Fiction. And I totally understand why the opening collection or the opening story is just a few short pages, but is uh, like a slightly dystopian, slightly futurish kind of story. Um, It's a little bit unsettling. There is a great story, I think it was the second or third, about um, a young man growing up in L.A. who falls into the wrong crowd, ends up in a gang, but doesn't realize that that's what's happening, uh, and then ends up in prison and then is struggling over decades in prison to sort of make sense of um, compassion and empathy and the words that get thrown around um, in relation to how people are in the world, but also especially with respect to victims of crimes and to criminals and sort of trying to create resolution between them. And that whole story is told in second person where you are, you as the reader are to imagine yourself as that character. Um, And I know, well, I'm pretty sure that I've talked on the show before about how much I love second person when it's done very well, and I think it's very difficult to do very well. Um, There's a great story in Pam Houston's book, Cowboys Are My Weakness, that's in second person. A whole chunk of Michelle Faber's novel, The Crimson Petal in the White, is in second person and is really wonderful. And this is one of those new examples that I will be going to of great second person writing. It's very memorable. Um, There's a novella in here, which I usually throw some side eye to because I don't like novellas when I want to read a short story. I want to read short stories, but it's not the opening story in the collection. And so I'm okay with it. But I personally do not appreciate it when I'm sitting down to read a short story collection and first I have to read like 75 pages in one go. Um, So I appreciate the organization of this collection (laughs) as well. But there are some stories are really richly grounded in the real world in all of its grit and messiness and difficult situations. Some of them are richly grounded in possible futures, um, not in a science fiction-y feeling way, but in a like, really, if you were imagining where we might be in 15 years uh, from where we are right now, politically, especially in the US, what might you write a story about? Um, And those feel just as carefully imagined as the ones that are grounded in present reality. And I also really appreciated that the collection is political in nature, but in a it's not quietly political. Like I was I've been struggling with how to describe this. It's not quietly political, but it's not overtly political either. Um, it's political, I think, in the way that all of our lives are inherently political because they're touched by policies and rules and public issues. And the characters in many of these stories have really high stakes in their lives and are experiencing the results of policies and social issues that they don't have any control over. Um, So it's not as straightforward political or current issuesy as say like the hate you give. Um, But it's also not 
apolitical by any stretch. And I think he threads that needle very nicely. I've been trying to think of another short story collection or another novel that really does it quite this way. And um, this, I think, is relatively singular for just how nuanced it is and how carefully Alarcon balances all those things. So again, I'm so happy to finally have read him. I'm going to be going into the backlist. Um, but this collection is The King is Always Above the People, and it's short stories by Daniel Alarcon. Excellent. Yes. I'm going to tell you, you about our sponsor. What if I don't want you to? I'm no longer opening it up to questions because <laughs> like <laughs> after last <laughs> week, I know you're going to go, No. <laughs> We learned the hard way. <laughs> so uh, today's first sponsor is A Selfie As Big As The Ritz by Lara Williams. It's coming out from Flatiron Books. And the women in Lara Williams' debut story collection, A Selfie As Big As The Ritz, navigate the tumultuous interval between early 20s and middle age. In the title story, a relationship implodes against the romantic backdrop of Paris. In one of those life things, a young woman struggles to say the right thing at her best friend's abortion. In Treats, a single woman comes to term with her loneliness. As Williams' characters attempt to lean in, fall in love, hold together a family, fend off loneliness, and build a meaningful life, we see them alternating between expectation and resignation, giddiness and melancholy, the roller coaster we all find ourselves on. So again, it's called A Selfie As Big As The Wrist. As The Wrist? Ritz? Well, a selfie as big as your wrist, a diamond that big would be good, too. Um, it's a selfie <laughs> as big as the Ritz from Laura Williams out today from Flatiron Books. We thank them for sponsoring. You can get it wherever books are sold. We will have a link to it in the show notes. I was just about to say I love this title and the F. Scott Fitzgerald nod to a diamond as big as the Ritz. Yeah. So. Or your wrist. You went there. I would take a diamond as big as my wrist. Or like a tennis bracelet situation. Oh, that that works too. Um, So my next pick is actually an older book. But I didn't read a lot of books that I love this week. And I, you know, in case you don't know, I do the new books newsletter and I try not to have any overlap. So I had to save some for the newsletter. So it's a good reason to sign up for the newsletter. Um, So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Mudbound by Hilary Jordan. Because the movie tie-in edition comes out today. And it uh, came out originally in 2008. It won the Bellwether Prize, which is the Barbara Kingsolver judged mm-hmm. prize. Um, the movie stars Carrie Williams, I think. And it takes place in 1946. It's about a young woman who was raised in the city. Um, she marries a farmer, and he quickly moves them to her farm. And now she's on her husband's Mississippi Delta farm raising her children. Um, her husband is a hard man. Her father-in-law is a horrible, awful monstrous bigot um and two men return from the war to help work the farm one is her brother-in-law who is as great as her husband is awful and the other is the eldest son of a black sharecropper um and it's about like their the friendship between the two men they're like two decorated war heroes but one of them is treated differently because of the color of his skin like he's he's you know risked his life and done everything that anyone else has done um, but because he's black, it's it's not as important, and he's not treated very well. Um, it's just a stunning debut about the dynamics in the Jim Crow South, and there were, I think, whispers of a, a sequel for a long time, um, but I haven't heard anything recently, um, but I, it's just, it's a really great novel, and I always like to read books before the movie comes out, because I like to watch the movie and be like, oh, they changed that, or that's different, or oh, I didn't see that, you know, going that way. Um, so again, it's called Mudbound and it's by Hillary Jordan. 
And I just want to point out while we're talking about Hillary Jordan that if you like The Handmaid's Tale, you should read her novel When She Woke. Yes. All right. My next pick this week is Everything is Awful and Other Observations. By Matt Bellisai. This actually came out last week, but there were so many books out last week that I didn't get to it uh, on last week's show. Um, if you are thinking maybe you recognize Matt Bellisai's name, it is because for a while he worked at BuzzFeed and he hosted the Wine About It Wednesday videos, <laughs> where which were fantastic, where each week was like 25 reasons Halloween is the worst. Uh, and he would whine about it and allow us, his viewers, to whine about it as well. This is a memoir in essays about uh, things he hates, about his family, about awkward moments, about, um, you know, being what he refers to himself as like the Midwest's biggest nerd with like, with bad hair that won't do what he wants it to do and skin that won't do what he wants it to do and growing up in a family that wanted to go outdoors when he thinks that everything outdoors is terrible and scary, being a gay man and not having any fashion sense. Um, like, and you know, these are struggles that he is conveying. There's a great chapter about like, I don't know how to adult. And it's like, sometimes I order seamless delivery to my apartment for three meals a day and I order full meals, but really all I want is a slice of chocolate cake. Um, and it's just funny. I'm listening to it on audio right now. That was one of the benefits of not getting to it before it came out was that I could wait for the audio to be published, but it's hysterical. Um, I find the audiobook especially is good in those small doses, like one chapter at a time. But I feel like I'm driving around with a friend who says all of the things that I sometimes think but might not say out loud about stuff in life that is annoying. But mixed into it is a lot of memoir, a lot of personal and sometimes close to the bone stuff. He tells his personal stories with a lot of humor and a lot of self-deprecation, but there's also a lot of depth to some of these talking about family issues, talking about figuring out that he was gay, um, figuring out, you know, sort of moving into the real world as an adult. There's a lot of really relatable stuff here. Um, and it's just, a, it's a good time. Uh, this is good. This is a good time. We're going into fall. If you just need something fun to read or maybe a little shot in Freuda, it's Everything is Awful and Other Observations by Matt Bellisai. Nice. I'm yeah, going to have that problem. Oh, um, next week, there are so many books out, I, I don't know how to pick. So I'm going to have to, like, write them all down on the wall and then throw a cat to pick one because I just, I don't know. I sent you the email <laughs> last night, like, all of these, but I can't talk about them all. I mean, I could just take the week off and you could talk about e-books. <laughs> it's not, that's only, like, half of the titles I told you I want to talk about. So I know. It's like... Uh, maybe if I talk t- twice as fast. <laughs> and then only it's dogs can problems. hear me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of animals and beasts, <laughs> that was a really weak segue. I'm very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you gave it a good go. I tried. My next pick is called Beasts Made of Night by Tochi Anyabuchi. And it is the debut YA fantasy novel from this fabulous new author. If you like Anetti Okorafor, you're going to love this book. It's about a young man named Taj. He is a 17-year-old indentured servant working for a mage. And he is a young sin eater, which means that he eats the sin beasts, which are deadly creatures spawned from feelings of guilt. Um, So if you don't want to deal with them yourself... 
Like, if you don't want those feelings, you hire someone to do it for you, because why not? Um, and what happens is, when you eat one of these sin beasts, a tattoo of the creature appears on your skin. Um, you can actually see it, like, physically manifest, but also you take on the guilty feelings that was in this beast. So, like, if someone does something bad and you eat that beast, like, you're going to feel bad about what they did now forever. And most sin eaters are driven crazy because of this. Like, not hard to imagine because they're eating people's bad feelings. Um, you can't really build up a tolerance for it. It's not like Iocane powder. You, you just, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's going to kill you. Um, but Taj is very determined to stick it out for as long as he can because his family is counting on him to, to keep them alive, basically. So he goes about, he eats the sin beast, and then one day he is called upon to eat the sin beast of a royal family member. And what he learns is that there is a conspiracy to destroy the city and bring down the royal family and the princess that he is in love with is in danger. So now it's up to him to put a stop to all the madness. It's it, it's just really fun and fantastic. It was one of the great big anticipated titles of the year. And it lives up to the title. And the cover, absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. So, like, just totally check out this. Did I say totally? This is not my day. I don't know what's going on here. Um, at least I'm saying my R's. So, it's Beasts Made of Night, and it's by Tochi Onyabuchi. <laughs> like, totally. Like, totally, totally read this book. That's a good endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about our next sponsor. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> I don't want you to get excited and get the hiccups again. <laughs> so, our good friends at Warby Parker are sponsoring the show this week, and I am super excited because I have worn Warby Parker glasses now for several years, and I love it when we when we have a product on the show or a book um, that we're talking about and that I really can personally endorse. Um, so, if you are not familiar, Warby Parker is a new way to get eyewear. It's contemporary eyeglasses that are really affordable and they're fashion forward. Many of them, as a bonus, have literary names um, because the folks who founded Warby Parker were into books, and Warby and Parker are all actually both literary references as well. You can learn about that on their website. That doesn't mean as much, um, but they think that glasses should be viewed as a fashion accessory. They should do what you need glasses to do, but they shouldn't cost as much as a plane ticket or a new iPhone. Um, it should be easy and affordable to have glasses that you love and that serve as an accessory to your outfit. So Warby Parker makes glasses starting at $95, including the prescription lenses. And if you have ever bought your eyeglasses from, you know, like an ophthalmologist's office, you might have had the experience that I've had where you see that the frames cost $95 and you're like, okay, that's a relief. It's not a million dollars. But then once they start talking to you about all the lenses and all the different treatments they can put on the lenses and, you know, all of that stuff, it pretty soon it does cost a million dollars. Warby Parker is aiming to fix that. Lenses include anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings. And for every pair that you buy, a pair is distributed to someone in need. 
The best thing about the Warby Parker shopping process, though, is that you don't just have to guess looking on the internet about what glasses are going to look good on your face. They make buying glasses online easy and risk-free because they have a home try-on program that allows you to order five pairs of glasses that get shipped directly to your door, and then you can try them on in the comfort of your own home. You can take selfies and put them on Instagram and get people's feedback. You can text your friends and see what they think. You can walk around in them in your house and check yourself out in the mirror. You get them for five days. So you can just really get a feel for what your face might look like with these new glasses on them. So much better than having like 45 seconds to look in the mirror at a doctor's office or somewhere else. And there's no obligation to purchase. So when you're done with the try-on, you send the frames back using a prepaid label. It's 100% free. It is so easy that my half-demented 11-year-old basset hound could do it. If this sounds good to you. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I want to see her in glasses. Uh, I have a one picture of her in sunglasses. Uh, she doesn't comply with. Does she dressing. wear them at night? No. Uh, that would be great, though. Yeah, she's not that cool. <laughs> um, if you want to try Warby Parker, go to Warby Parker. That's W A R B Y Parker dot com slash books to order your free home try ons today. Choose the five frames you'd like to try on mail the frames back, and then you choose your favorite pair to have your prescription added to and order them. Warby Parker makes the experience totally risk-free. The shipping is free all the way around. So again, it's warbyparker.com slash books to get started. And after you head there and you do your home try-on, make sure to download the Warby Parker app from the iTunes store, um, which has a built-in home try-on companion that allows you to take photos of all the frames and stitch it into a video and share it with your friends so that you can pick a winner. So again, warbyparker.com slash books. We thank them so much for sponsoring the show. And if you happen to have seen me on Instagram or Book Riot's YouTube page, I wear the Oliver uh, glasses in the whiskey tortoise color. Does Garrison Keillor narrate the Warby Parker home companion? <laughs> He should. You know, I have a I I mean now I'm just gonna talk about how I love Warby Parker for a second, hey, sure. I guess. But my my face is pretty narrow and I like that you can sort the glasses by width. Cause I like bigger and kind of chunky looking frames, but often they're really, really wide. And so I like even on online when you're starting the home try-on, you can sort for narrow frames and it'll show you the ones. And I have had really good luck um, doing home try-on with those and then selecting glasses that way. So if also, if you're in the other camp, if you have a wide face, you can search for that. So very nice. I'm glad you're going to talk about this next book because after we were finished recording, I was like, how did I miss talking about that? Like, it <laughs> seems so obvious and I forgot to mention it. Um, so I'm excited that you're going to do it today. Yes, this is another one that came out last week. I will um, confess I'm not finished with it yet, but I'm reading it, hoping to get some ideas for episodes of the Annotated Podcast, because we'll be doing another season of that in the spring, and I'm going to be writing a few of them. So the book is The Written World, The Power of Stories to Shape People, History, and Civilization by Martin Pushner, or Puckner, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Um, in the book, he goes through 16, like, groundbreaking, paradigm-shifting, whatever term you want to use, moments of literary history 
from Alexander the Great and the the libraries to the Iliad to Don Quixote all the way up through Harry Potter to talk about stories that have reflected civilization and that have shaped the world. Um, It opens, of course, with the first written masterpiece, which is the Epic of Gilgamesh. There's a look into some other sacred texts like the Bible, the teachings of Buddha. We move up through Socrates. You get, of course, Scheherazade and the Thousand and One Nights. There is some Benjamin Franklin. There is some Communist Manifesto. Uh, It's What I've read of it so far is really fascinating um, and looks at the role that storytelling and that fiction especially have played in society, sort of how this mode of storytelling came to be once we went from just verbal narrative storytelling to writing stories down and how fiction developed, uh, and also how the stories that we imagine shape the futures that we can make. Um, I'm really into it so far. It's a pretty big book. Um, do you want to chime in, Lib, since you also loved it? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not going to ask Stop you anything you ever. All right. Well, if you want to find out about it, (laughs) if you're more agreeable than Liberty. I was trying to hold my breath because I have the hiccups again. (laughs) The book is The Written World, The Power of Stories to Shape People, History, and Civilization. (laughs) Honestly, I I lost... Yeah, I lost my train of thought because I was like holding my breath. So focusing so hard. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Also, if you want to use the word totally when you're writing episodes of Annotated, you totally have my permission. Just, I just want a little credit. You'd be like, the word totally brought to you by Liberty Hardy. <laughs> so, um, because I'm a space cadet today and I needed to save some titles for the newsletter, um, and because it's fun, we are now each going to talk about a book coming out next year that we've recently read and loved, or I think... You're in the middle of reading. I don't I don't know if you finished yours, I finished but, it. Yeah, so we're going to talk about those now. Because why not? Yeah. Um, it's our show. We can talk about whatever we want. Yeah. Even when we mess up the words. Um, so my pick is Unbury Carol by Josh Mallerman. He is the author of Bird Box and Black Mad Wheel. And I have a funny accent, so it's Unbury, like, U-M-B-U-R-Y, Carol, as in the woman's name, or the man's name, Carol. Um, And yes, I know everyone is like, ah, but I want a a new Bird Box sequel, and, you know, I do too, but I'm also so delighted with everything that he's giving us. Um, This one comes out in April, and it's so awesome. It's sort of like, it's like Deadwood meets Sleeping Beauty, sort of, but it's like a little more fantastical. It's this, like, alternate West like 18, sort of like 1800s Western. Um, It's about a woman named Carol. She has a very unusual, unfortunate condition. Sometimes when she is overwhelmed, she lapses into a coma that gives the appearance of death. It's happened to her since she was a little girl. And so from, so from the outside looking at her, she has no heartbeat. She has no, like no pulse, no breath, no anything. Um, And people think she's dead. However, she's not. And she comes out of it a few days later. And while she's in this coma, she can hear everything around her. Like everything that's going on, people speaking, the noises, everything. But she can't say, she's like basically, you know, paralyzed. She can't say anything. Um, And the only people who know her secret are her husband, Dwight. Because it's kind of alarming, you know, like weird that she can do this. So she only, 
her mother used to know, but her mother is no longer living. Um, so her husband, Dwight, knows this. And her old flame, James Moxie, the famous outlaw. Um, <laughs> James Moxie. Right? Uh, he knows her secret. Um, and it sort of drove him away from her. So she, she that's another reason why she doesn't tell people. Because she doesn't want people to think she's a freak and, and leave her. So she goes on for about ten years. She's married to Dwight. And then one day... Um, Her friend passes away, and she's so upset, she lapses into this coma. And this time, instead of, like, laying her out in the bed and letting her recover, Dwight calls the funeral parlor and says, My wife is dead. We need to bury her. And she realizes, because she is a very wealthy woman, that Dwight is going to have her buried alive so that he can have her money. Um, And there's nothing that she can do about it. She can hear him making her the plans for her funeral... She can hear the people mourning her. There's nothing that she can do. However, her housekeeper knows, um, they were having a chat one day, Carol and the housekeeper, uh, that James Moxie, the famous outlaw, uh, used to be her, her lover many, many years ago. And so she sends him a message saying, you know, oh, it's so very sad. Carol has passed away. And he goes, oh, no, because she probably hasn't, you know. Um, and so now James Moxie is racing across the West to stop what's going to happen to Carol. He doesn't want her to be buried. However, someone has hired one of the creepiest villains of all time named Smoke to stop James Moxie before he gets to town. And I don't even want to tell you anything about Smoke because I think it would take away from, like, the feeling you'll get when you start reading about him, but he's really, really, really bad. Um, It's just so much fun. I absolutely loved it. Um, And I'm going to stop talking about it now. It's Unbury Carol, and it's by Josh Mallorin. All right. And my first 2018 preview, if you listen to the Book Riot podcast, you've heard me talk about this already. I think this is going to be in hot contention for my favorite book of 2018 is The Female Persuasion by Meg Wallitzer. It is a big, juicy, wonderful novel about a young woman who, in her like first weeks of college, has a nasty encounter with a frat boy. Uh, And it turns out that he is widely known on campus to have assaulted, harassed, um, possibly raped a bunch of women on campus. And they attempt to start a movement to get him suspended, to get some sort of disciplinary action taken. Um, But that doesn't go very well. And the young woman gets invited to go see a famous feminist speaker on campus by a friend of hers who was an activist. Um, and she feel, she's this like main character is pretty quiet. Um, she doesn't really know who she is yet or what she wants in life, but she like the spirit moves her to ask this famous feminist speaker, uh, whose name is Faith Frank, a question about what's going on on their campus. And she tells the story about this boy and about what they've been trying to do um, and what should we do next. And this is the moment that she sort of gets involved in feminist activism and years later finds herself working for that woman uh, and founding a major feminist organization and All kinds of things happen, but we get like a decade or so of life uh, in this character with, and we see many of the characters, we get different perspectives as the book goes on. And we spend some time with the famous feminist as well, but a decade of life from being, you know, 18, 19, 20, not really knowing who you are, but getting, having a, a critical turning point moment in life, finding a mentor and what happens after that. 
This is, it's wonderful. There are some really satisfying moments and some very, like also very close to the bone moments uh, after last year's election, um, getting to see what happens with the women that are on the world stage in this book. Um, the relationships, as in all Meg Wallitzer novels, are really finely drawn and they feel so true. Um, the thoughts that the characters have and the, like, the quiet of their own hearts are also really finely drawn and they feel so true and it's the kind of stuff that most people don't give voice to, but Meg Wallitzer draws it out and she shows her characters' flaws in a way that makes them acceptable and relatable and helps you to look at your own flaws in an interesting way. I just think she's a master of fiction. And one of the, the letter actually that's printed in the front of the galley that I received from one of the publishers of the book declares this to be the great American novel of the early 21st century and says that uh, she believes that we'll be talking about it and reading it for generations to come. I don't know. That's a hard call to make. Yeah, no kidding. Like, and I've actually never seen, I was telling Jeff on the Book Riot show, I've never seen a publisher make that grand of a statement about how good they believe a book to be. And you see all kinds of grand statements and often a lot of hyperbole in galley letters, but this seems like a, just a lot of love and a lot of confidence for this novel. I don't, uh, I'm not going to go that far, not because I didn't think the book was great, just because I think it's really tough to say what is going to be a generation-defining book um, until you've had like 30 years of distance from it. Yeah. Um, But I plowed through it. Um, It's one of those novels that you just miss when you're not reading it and you're thinking about the characters and what might happen to them. And the ending flashes forward a little ways, just a few years, um, to you can see Meg Wallitzer imagining what it's going to continue to be like for women in the U.S. for a little while. Um, it's it's terrific. This is a really wonderful, very feminist novel, um, and I really loved it. It's called The Female Persuasion. It comes out in April, and I will be talking about it again, but um, that's my first big 2018 preview. Very nice. Thank you. And they sent it. So. They, they sent it. I don't know if your packaging came the same way, but it had like a s- giant sticker of the cover on it so that you could see all the different colored stripes um, yes. in the package. So I saw like the UPS guy from far, far away carrying the. <laughs> I was like, I know what that is. I know what that is. I know when it's going to be here when it gets here. So it was oh, very it's so exciting. Good. I, but I have not read it yet. I'm saving it, I think, for next week. So mm, yeah, I loved it. So those are new books, some books from last week, uh, and some books we're looking forward to. You got a good mix today, Lib. What are you going to read next? Okay, so you probably heard a really like high pitch noise about an hour and a half ago, and that was mm-hmm. me receiving the new Alexander Chi book. Um, it, it arrived in my hot little hands about an hour and a half ago. It's a book of essays. It's called How to Write an Autobiographical Novel, and as I may have mentioned, I love him. <laughs> I just love everything he writes. I think he's the smartest. I just, I love him. And also, I I can never remember, like, if it's appropriate to remark on people's looks, but um, he has a photo of himself from when he was in college on the cover. And he's a honey. Um, so, sorry. Uh, but, yeah, it's, I'm so, so excited. I mean, he's just so smart. And if you've ever read him before, like, read his nonfiction, you know it too. And a mainer. So, like... We, you know, us 207 kids stick together. Um, so what are you going to read next? You know, I haven't quite decided. Um, this coming weekend is fallback weekend in my house, which is this 
ridiculous tradition that Bob and I developed over the course of many years, where the week that we turn the clocks back and you get that extra hour of sleep, we sort of go off the grid for the whole weekend and eat a lot of junk food. And usually there's a lot of watching of bad movies, um, but often a lot of reading too. And I haven't planned what I'm going to read this week or what I'm going to have on my stack for the coming weekend. So I don't know. I'm in the middle of Teachings on Love by Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, I'm reading that in the mornings right now, and it's really lovely as he always is, but I don't know what the next new book I start is going to be. I was like, oh, that's that can't be time yet, That, but it is. It's freaking almost new, November. <laughs> I know. I love it, but anybody who needs possible? a lot of sunlight is going to have a hard time coming Well, I mean, it's, it was like 70 here a couple of days ago, you know? Yeah. And it's yeah. It hasn't felt very fallish here either, no. but... Hopefully we'll get there. So that's our show this week. Don't forget to go to bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway to enter to win $500 to the bookstore of your choice, open internationally through November 26th. That is bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway. Thank you to a selfie as big as the Ritz, which we will have a link in the show notes. And you can find that wherever books are sold from Flatiron Books. And to our friends at Warby Parker, go to warbyparker.com slash books to start your free home try-on of five different frames now if you have something to say to us you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com or hit us up on twitter i'm rebecca shinsky s-c-h-i-n-s-k-y liberty is miss liberty and if you would take a minute to rate or review the show on apple podcasts we always appreciate that and as much as we would love to tell you about more books today we just don't have the time but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter and in the meantime, in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.